I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode is with Chris Bow of Vampire Weekend. And not only a Vampire Weekend, Chris is just about to, well, when we're recording this on the 15th of December, uh, and the album comes out in January, his, uh, his new solo record. Uh, and we had a catch-up over Zoom, and it was a wonderful chat. You're about to hear that. Um, a few thank yous before we get on with that. Um, I'd like to thank Scroobius Pip and all my friends at the Distraction Pieces Network. Uh, thank you to 76 for producing this podcast. And if this is your first time listening to Off the Beaten Track, um, once you've got to the end of uh, my chat with Chris, go and have a look in the archives because you can uh, check out chats with, well, there's over 200 now, and you can hear me talking to the likes of Tommy Lee, Chuck D., um, Suede, James Lavelle, Mel C., uh, Rag and Bone Man. There's 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 an abundance of chats with some amazing creative people. So um, so when you're done with this episode, uh, go and have a, a rummage in the archives. Better still, subscribe. Then they just pop up on your listening device uh, every week. Um, and if you'd like to support the podcast, I also put up four radio shows each week, um, as well as video episodes and bonus uh, content as well on a Patreon. Uh, so for those that don't know what Patreon is, it's like another sort of social media feed, really. And uh, and it means you can support creative sort of ventures. Um, so as this is a labour of love, um, I've set up the Patreon to, to run alongside it. So uh, if people would like to get the extra content, then uh, then they can kind of pledge a little bit of money towards the, the podcast. And uh, you can find out all about it. Um, and, uh, and you know, and the, the 200 or so episodes in the back catalogue of the, the general releases as well. Um, you can find out about all of this stuff at Off the Beat and Track Podcast. That's Beat and, not Beaten. Beat and Track Podcast.com. Um, should we get on with today's episode? Let's do that. Please enjoy Off the Beat and Track Podcast with Chris Bayo. <laughs> It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Sitting opposite me today via the means of Zoom, Chris Bow. Hello. Hey, how's it going, Stu? It's all good. It's all good. So before we get before we get chatting records, 
I just want to ask you. I mean, firstly, where, whereabouts uh, are you zooming from? Where, where are you? Uh, I am in Oregon right now, uh, on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, I got a place here a couple months ago, so spending some time uh, in a fairly remote part of the country. It's been nice. Well, I mean, I, I mean we we spoke briefly before uh, we, we we started recording, uh, and I was saying about we're recording today at a time when. The UK is about to go into another kind of level of lockdown. So I just want to ask you how you found 2020 as as as, as Chris the human being and as a creative. Yeah, um, I, I will say I I feel very very lucky to have been kind of uh, equipped to weather what was a challenging year and be lucky enough that like I can just stay at home and uh, don't need to go out to make money or expose myself or others to the virus. So uh, like that, at the forefront, I would just say that I feel very lucky that I'm in that position. Um, when I got home, so I, I had a, a very busy year last year where um, I was touring uh, for uh, the Vampire Weekend record, Father of the Bride came out. And at the same time, I was making my uh, new record, which is coming out in January, called Dead Hand Control. And I had never really, like, toured and um, made a record at the same time. So I I just... When I got home from Australia, we did an Australian tour over the New Year's. When I got home in January, I just felt very, like, um, worn down and uh, pretty, like, tired. So... Uh, and, and that's, that's never been the case before, you know, now I'm, I, I turned 36, uh, a month and a half ago. I'm, I'm a little bit older. I mean, I've been touring since I was 22 years old and I, I've never like felt so tired coming home from a tour. So when, when things started getting canceled, I, I felt like on a, just a personal day to day level and how I feel, I felt okay. I was just like, because of this kind of like exhaustion, I was pretty fine with, staying at home. I, I didn't really miss touring. I guess now I, I feel differently now, you know, we're recording this in, in the middle of December and like, um, you know, I have this record coming out and normally you'd be making plans and thinking about where you're going to go and, and getting in rooms and sharing the music that you made with other people. And I do find now, uh, that I do, I, I miss playing and I miss touring, but it's taken me seven or eight months to get there. And, and I think I'm lucky in that regard. I just, I, I definitely feel for so many musicians who made records who didn't get to tour this year. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, let's talk records. And, uh, and for track one, Chris, I'm going to ask you the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. Yes, my answer to this is um, More Than This by Roxy Music. Uh, nice. Which I think just... Uh, I thought about it for a while this morning, and uh, that was the song that first came to mind of a great intro, but I felt like I needed to kind of, like, check. I needed to be sure I can only have one greatest intro ever, and I've never been asked this question before. So I put it on, and I listened to the first 20 seconds, and I said, you know what? I feel good about this. This is an absolutely incredible intro. I think it's sort of... I mean, Roxy Music is my favorite band of all time, and I find that their journey uh, from, you know, the first records really, really already, you know, with Brian Eno being in the band on the first two middle period and then end. I just, I find their journey so fascinating. And obviously um, it ends with Avalon. It's the last record and it's a very, you know, you could see them pointing in that direction in the, in the two records before that, but it it really does kind of stand on its own as far as its sound. And I, and I do think it sort of um, stands on its own as far as records go. There's, there's no other record that I can think of that really evokes these certain feelings in me. And like, the first 20 seconds of that, just the, the kind of like the, the expansiveness, the like, uh, the glory of it, the, you know, huge sounding drum fill. And then like Brian Ferry singing just completely differently from how he had earlier in his career. And like, even, you know, just like the little interval, like people don't write melodies like that really. And it's like, it's almost like every single element of it feels like a hook, feels like a chorus. The, the drum fill feels like it could be a chorus. It's so memorable. The like first melody feels like it could be a chorus. So I don't know. I, I, the first 20 seconds of it just are, are incredible to my mind. And I think there's like a reason why, you know, it still gets used. Roxy Music weren't a huge band in America, but it still gets used in commercials in America every year. And I think like it's because it's like withstood the test of time and that intro is just so incredible. I think that's a big part of it. You, you, you really broke down the first 20 seconds there. And, and so that's going to kind of lead me on to asking you, you know, you, you said you've been touring for, you know, a long, you know, many, many years now. And I just want to know, you know, since you first started sort of writing records to, to now, the way that people listen to music has probably changed quite a bit. Um, and now, we, you know, we, we live in a world full of streaming services and, and, and things like that. Um, and has that affected how you approach songwriting and specifically the intro insofar as that whole kind of said, you know, you said the hook's right there from the beginning with Roxy. And it was like, you know, I've, I've had guests on that have said that, you know, I had... Um, uh, I had uh, uh, OMD on, and they were talking about how in, in the UK now, if you you don't have the vocal doesn't come in within the first, I think it's twenty something seconds, you don't get on the radio. And he said Enola Gay would never have been played on the radio. And so I, I just wonder, like, 
you know, of all of these kind of things that have changed and evolved, like how much has it affected, if at all, your writing process? You know, it's interesting that you ask that um, because I do, I tend to, when I work on at least my solo stuff, I really do think about the album as a whole and think about the journey. And, you know, this record is eight songs long. And, and actually, the, like, the kind of like starting point for this record was that I wanted to have um, the least amount of songs as any of my solo records and have it be the longest of any of my solo records, right? So it has one song is over seven minutes and two songs are over nine minutes. So in, in that regard, it's like um, that, that's not being made with an eye towards a... Uh, like streaming model or um, like thinking about it being like a, a radio song. Like you, I think once you like reach a certain length of song, like to my mind, I don't know. I can't really think of a song that was nine minutes long that in its entirety was a hit in like, uh, you know, re, you know, recorded music history. Like I think that was the case in the sixties. That's the case now. So I definitely like when I make tracks like that, I'm not really thinking about that. Having said that, like when I handed in this record um, to my label, uh, you know, I, I, it was I, I had it mixed. You know, I worked on this thing. You know, from like start to finish, it was about two years. They gave me like three bits of feedback. Two were just to like put up a little bit of turn turn the sound up on on certain little sounds in the mix, and then I had originally this kind of like forty five minute sound collage, like with kind of broken spoken Russian as the intro to the album that was called, you know, the song is called dead hand control. The album's called dead hand control. And my label was like, listen, you can do what you want, but we think you should cut that 45 seconds because like when people hit play on the streaming service and it's all like confusing and stuff, that'll just lose their attention. And I, I thought about it for a long time and I, you know, I, I love my label. I think they're, they're brilliant and I love working with them. And so when they said that, I said, you know what? All right, I'll, I'll do that. So, so I did do that. And I don't think, you know, they wouldn't have asked me to do that if I handed this record in, in uh, you know, 2008 or whatever, when the first Vampire Weekend record came out. So it definitely, it definitely does affect me. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of what's around me in the world and what, what ends up getting like becoming popular on streaming services and things like that. I, it can't help but influence me one way or another, whether it's explicit or not, but that's like an example of a, an explicit thing of changing the way I make something because of, uh, you know, the way streaming services are today. Okay. For track two, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. I'll go, and I, I, this is kind of in a similar world to my first choice, but I'll go Once in a Lifetime by Talking Heads. Um, and that one, I just remember, like, my, my parents loved this song so, so much, and I think that, you know, the lyrics are so iconic. I know that um, David Byrne had been listening to a lot of, like, American Christian radio in the heartland, the kind of, like, preacher energy. Really? Yeah, that was it. Was it, it was oh, him? I think him and him and Eno were driving around somewhere in America, and it, maybe it wasn't. Maybe he wasn't with Eno at that time, but I think he was. But he just it was like very um, influenced by a certain strand of um, 
uh, American religious speaking, and uh, yeah. it, it really shows when you listen to the, yeah, that, that record. Figures. Yeah, and I think that the you know the the lyrics are just so iconic, and the like. This is not my beautiful wife. It's just like such a, a funny lyric and such a funny way of viewing the world. But for me, I just associate that with that song with being like. Obviously, there's so much going on that I couldn't wrap my head around when I was a little kid. But just being like six years old and being on family road trips and having that song played on repeat, it just like, I think that it's like, it's a very heavy song. And it's not like, um, there's, there's obviously so much going on. But like when I was a little kid, just like being in the back of the car yelling, this is not my beautiful wife, it just, um, just like made this like immediate imprint on me so it it just yeah like i just when i think of like first falling in love with music as like a little boy that's like the song that i think of and so what what would the emotion have been uh i would say the emotion would have been the joy of sharing music with people you love just being in a car with your family and uh listening to it that's like when i think back to how i interacted with that song when i was six years old that's kind of the kind of the shared the 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 community of it yeah uh, like, is it exactly the same for me i just I, I remember like not just hearing it but but seeing seeing like the video and seeing stop making sense and and just not being able to understand it, it, it didn't compute i was just watching the way that he moved and i was like it's just not right. There's something <laughs> strange about this. And like, and as a kid, you know, the strange is something that you, you're drawn to, I think. And, and I was just fascinated by it. Like, and, and, and that's just the visual. And then sonically, it just delivers, it, you know, time and time again. Like, yeah. Oh, great choice. Absolutely great choice, Chris. Um, well, you mentioned that that was on uh, in the car, you know, when you were like, like out in the, you know, traveling with your folks. Uh, what about home? Was um, was there always records on growing up? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, my my parents like. I think there's a typical thing that can happen where people listen to music, then they have kids, and then they kind of stop following what's happening in in new music. I think that that's that's probably more the norm than otherwise. But you know, my dad was a professional uh, a lawyer when I was growing up my mom you know stayed home and raised me and my sister um but they both kept up on new music constantly so when I think of you know when did I first hear of Nirvana I heard of it when like my dad brought Nevermind home like you know my dad was the type of lawyer who would buy records and buy Nevermind and play it for his uh family so um new music and like like staying up on new music was something that like um, my dad always did and definitely like instilled a love of, of music in, in, to me growing up. Um, so, I mean, I even think it's like when I was eight years old or nine years old, I got really into bad religion and, um, like my dad, <laughs> eight year olds are getting into bad religion. I, well, I know it, it is crazy and it, it, maybe, yeah, I think I was nine, but it was like when stranger than fiction came out, like 21st century digital boy was like a song that was played on MTV at night and like my dad loved it. And so he bought stranger than fiction. And then I loved it like at that age. And like, I would play that record for, um, like this, I mean, this would be another example of like a a early first emotion, but like, yeah, like, like 
sharing bad religion with my friends when I was nine years old, and that's because my dad brought that record home, you know? That's a cool dad, Chris. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's stay in the formative years. Um, for track three, I'm going to ask you the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Uh, I'm going to go with Down on the Corner by Creedence Clearwater Revival, and uh, this was the hardest one. Uh, I just had to think the most about it, but um, I started playing guitar when I was, I think, 12 years old or 13, and I would have played my first show ever when I was 14, and um, it would have been... uh, like it, it it was a girls going away party. So I started playing music with with my friends, like a couple friends, and we would cover songs. So we would cover like Nirvana, we would cover like pop punk songs and things like that. And um like the first so the first show we played was a girls going away party. Um and I it's so funny, but I, you know whatever. I was, you know, like 14, 13 years old so nervous before getting up on stage and playing. And it was like, it was a big party relative to my, you know, it was like whatever, like 60 or 70 people. And, uh, and I hadn't, my voice hadn't dropped. I hadn't gone through puberty yet. Um, and the first song we played was a cover of aneurysm by Nirvana. And, you know, I don't know how well you remember the specifics of that song, but it's like loud and abrasive, and at the end, like Kurt Cobain just like screams, like there's just like this agonized cry, and I did that in front of like like singing just like shit, like doing it in front of my peer, and like everybody just kind of just like applauded politely. We like went through like, and we covered a bunch of song. I mean, we covered a bunch of like alt radio hits at the time, like we covered Lightning Crashes by Live, like stuff like that. I think we did a Radiohead song. Um, and it was just kind of like people were being polite. And then we covered, because it's a very, it's like a simple guitar riff song, we covered, um, we played Down on the Corner. And when we played that, all of a sudden, like, all the, these girls came in uh, in front of the stage and started dancing. And, like, um, we're really into that one song specifically. I think it's, you know, there are probably, like, cultural reasons based on the town that I grew up in, like, why... Uh, people really wanted to dance to that one. But so we played that one song, everybody danced, and then, you know, whatever, we went up probably to some, like, random punk song after that, and everybody, like, sat back down. And, like, we played a long-ass show when I think about it, like, probably two and a half hours. And, like, towards the end, everyone was like, oh, play down on the corner then, again, play down on the corner again. And so we did, and everybody danced again. And I, I guess I kind of, like thinking back on it it was like very informative of like the importance of pleasing a crowd like that's that's obviously like an element of it so i don't know like like i I just i think about like who your audience is and 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 that kind of stuff and that was like a lesson i learned uh very early on from that song did you did you enjoy school chris uh i did i mean there were there are probably times where i where i uh i didn't or i would be uh sad but overall um you know I, it's uh made friends there that i i still you know in this zoom era i have a weekly call with my childhood friends and uh so like now looking back on it and you know you grow and you learn 
uh, so much, obviously, uh, by necessity. So, like, I look back on it pretty fondly now, even if there were, you know, uh, times where I probably would have said I hated it when I was growing up. Did you know what you wanted to be when you was at school? It really depended. Um, it's kind of weird in the sense that when I was 16, I wanted more than anything to be a professional musician. Then when I went to university, I like stopped playing music and was kind of open to like any sort of career. I kind of like stopped pursuing being a um, professional musician. And then halfway through university, I met three people and we started a band and then being a musician did become my life, uh, which is what I wanted to do more than anything when I was 16. But when I was like 19 or 20, it was not something I was pursuing. First song you bought from a record store. It's funny because, like, this one I've been asked so many times, like, relative. Like, the other ones I don't think I've been asked any any time before. Um, but so the first record, the first album I bought, like, um, and it was with my parents' money, but it was the first time I was like, listen, I really want to buy this record. Um, it was Queen, classic Queen, and it was specifically for Bohemian Rhapsody, and it was because of um, Wayne's World. And I, I didn't, I wasn't allowed to see Wayne's World the movie, but I was allowed to see. They would show the video of like them like singing in the car to Bohemian Rhapsody, and I just thought it was so. Um, it's such a funny scene, even even now. Like if I, you know, I'll watch it every so often. It's just such a funny scene. Um, so that, that's def that's the first record I bought. Wicked. Was it re-released then in, in the States? Cause it was in the UK and, it, and I think it might've gone to number one again in the UK. I, like, I would like, believe that. World. Yeah. I think that there was, this is my memory is getting a little hazy, but I feel like there was like a new music video or something that was kind of cut to the Wayne's world. So yeah. it, it, it did, it had this like huge, um, second life, which, um, yeah. it's kind of like, it's, I think about like, how, like, right now, some songs will go, like, viral on TikTok, like, randomly that are, like, 10 or 15 years old. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's, like, the the 90s version of it is, like, the, like, Wayne's yeah. World is, like, the TikTok video that made Bohemian Rhapsody go viral or whatever. Yeah. You know, you don't think about, you didn't think about it in those terms then, but uh, it's, like, the same thing happening, essentially. And so, how important were were record shops for you back then and and you know and uh, and as an artist how important are they to you now um they were important then definitely i mean i would have at that age when you're eight or nine years old um you're going to the kind of more like uh corporatized version of that and so i would be going to tower records um and i still you know Tower Records is still a brand in Japan, and, like, when I'm in Tokyo, I do love going to the Tower Records in Shibuya, and, like, um, putting out my first record, uh, first solo record, like, uh, when I think about a big moment for me, it was actually, like, being in the Tower Records in Shibuya, and, like, seeing my record, the names, like, have a yeah. little, like, display, and, like, thinking about, like, the Tower Records I would shop at um, on Central Avenue in Yonkers, New York. Um, so that was kind of the version of it then. Um, 
when I got into high school and I would go into the city more and play music, I would definitely go to a lot of the independent record shops like Generation Record on St. Mark Street. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're very important. They're, they're still super important now. Um, I think that, like, like my label asked um, if I wanted to do, or actually it was my manager who had the idea of doing, like, a special, like, burgundy edition of my record for independent record stores. And I was extremely into that idea because, um, I do think, you know, record independent record stores are, uh, lifeblood. And, and I think that like they should be, um, supported as much as, as possible. And, uh, you know, I, I interned one summer for like a, a mail order, uh, record store called in sound in New York. Like, um, no, that's very, yeah, very important to me. Okay. Well, let's move forward a little bit. And for track five, the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Uh, yeah. So I, um, I did not go to like clubs very much when I was growing up, um, like culturally in suburban New York, it was not something I did. I would go, um, to, uh, Sometimes in New York, there was like a, a a club called Rafifi that I would go to when I was in college. Um, I actually, I'm only thinking of this as I talk out loud, so this is not the answer that I give. But like, there was I, I have sure. a, a good memory of like, and you know, they would have this would have been like 2005, so they would have had 2004. They would have had like a kind of like hipstery, like not um, not any like allegiance to any one genre. It wasn't like total techno or total house music. So I, I just, I do remember like dancing to uh gigantic by the Pixies, like, nice. And, you know, kind of like, you know, it was like a version of indie dance, like a New York version yeah. of, of indie dance, which there's obviously like a, a rich history of that in the UK. Mm-hmm. But so when, when I, I, I did do DJing, um, I did college radio and I would also like go and like play at student events and things like that. And I, I DJed a lot that way, but, um, kind of around the time that Vampire Weekend's second record Contra came out, I got like really into DJing and, um, playing house and techno and, and, and like mixing and, uh, the kind of like craft of it. <clears throat> and a song that I think about a lot from that era is, um, a song called Yearning by this uh, duo called Black Van that was put out by DFA Records. And it's just um, this really beautiful, you know, it's wordless but nostalgic um, uh, electronic track. And, uh, like, I'll, I'll listen to it periodically. And it's just also, like, you know, it's it's tailor-made for club use. Like, the first, you know, 45 seconds or so is just, like, the this like simple drum beat loop, like typical house, like, you know, four yeah. on the floor backbeat. And then these kind of like romantic eighties, big grand chords come in. And, um, it has a very, very long breakdown and a really, really satisfying kind of like, uh, drop in an arty way when the beat comes in at the end. And I just think of it when I think about that time in my life and, and DJing and playing in clubs, that's kind of the song I think about the most. Wonderful. Well, well, let's take you back home for track six. Uh, Chris, I'm going to ask you a favorite song from an artist from your home county. Oh, is it home count? Oh, was it county? 
Oh, I said it could be it, it could be country. You, you're, oh you'll my be god, about, I missed. You'll be about that. the 150th person that said country instead of county, so you're in good company, mate. Oh man, home. Oh, I, I need to. I really do. And, I'm, and I've said this on about 50 episodes now. I really need to readdress the word county on uh, <laughs> uh, on the questions when I send them because everyone thinks country. Yeah, I just when I when I got now I want to think of some. Yeah, Who my, was you going to have for country anyway? I'm, I'm curious. My country was going to be um, Sing a Simple Song by Sly and the Family Stone. Um, oh, wonderful. Which um, is, yeah, like Stand is one of my favorite records. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I love so much Sly and the Family Stone, but that, that song is um, just so iconic, incredible groove, incredible vocals. And I guess the reason why... I, I picked it partially is that um, on my new record, I, I, I'm, I like in general making references to other artists um, and, and other songs and stuff like that. But I, this album, I kind of pared that back and it's a little bit less like referential lyrically. There's still a couple moments here and there, but the kind of the first verse of the first song references this, uh, this song, sing a simple song. And um, I don't know. I just I, I love the the I, I love the meaning of it. Sing a simple song. There's just something like comforting yeah. about that. Um, you know, 1970s America was in uh, complete upheaval, and uh, the idea through the chaos of you know singing a simple song just as a phrase, and the song is obviously about way more than just that. Uh, there's something that I love about that. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot, which is the thing that you said. I don't know how people would do this if they had to uh, get put on the spot. So if you are going to go home county, hometown, what are you going to go for? It's, it's so hard because... Who's, who's in the shortlist? Who's in the running for it? Bands, I mean, Westchester County, New York. I have to Google. I don't even know if any bands like started in Westchester County. Let me just look very quickly. Uh... Because there might, you know, there'll be some members of bands. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all like. Uh, God. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> it's all, uh, let me just see. God. Like, uh, it's, it's tricky. <laughs> I, I, this is, like, the hardest question of my life, I think. Um, because, like, yeah, there, I mean, there are, like... There are elements of, like, uh, there's an iconic venue in a town called Porchester called um, uh, the Capitol Theater that, like, Grateful Dead would always play at. That's, like, that's, like, um, that, obviously Grateful Dead are not a Westchester band, but that's Westchester culture. Come to think of it, um, like, let me just, let me just, yeah, like, I know there was a um there's like a college a state college called Purchase SUNY Purchase which is in Westchester County which I took like I took a math class once when I was in high school like to to take some advanced math but I do know that um like Mitski went there and like she um she recorded at least one or two of her albums at purchase at SUNY purchase. Now I, I have no idea if she entered, uh, if she like identifies as being a Westchester artist, I have no idea what Westchester means. It's just like literally something like I was reading about her record and I saw that it was recorded in, in Westchester. It was two records ago. Definitely. Um, but so I guess I'll go with her, uh, all if right. she's okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let you have that. I'll put you on the spot. I'll put you on the spot. That's I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> right. For your final track, uh, you get to play DJ now. And, uh, and it's a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. So I, when I did college radio, I really, um, I, I did, I loved getting into kind of more esoteric things. And um, I would... There's like a, a record store that's no longer with us, sadly, based in San Francisco called Aquarius. And every week they would like write these long reviews of like 50 new releases. And it was mostly like pretty esoteric stuff. And a lot of it would be like stuff that I never really connected with. Like there would be like 20 like sludge metal albums that we like, like just like, like, you know, like, like fun, like that there's so much stuff there, but so I'd always read it and read about, um, new stuff that was coming out. And, and through that, I got really into this Finnish record label called Phonal Records, F O N A L. And I don't know if they're still active. Um, but they put out, two records by this all instrumental group that I really loved called, um, they were called Shogun Kunitoki. So that's, uh, S H O G U N K U N I T O K I. I think they're Finnish and not Japanese, but they're, they were called Shogun Kunitoki. And the first song on their first record is just this very cool instrumental piece called Montezuma. Um, and, uh, the reason why I picked it and why, why it came to mind is that, uh, on my new record, I um, I was very very lucky. I, I got to record, and I didn't realize it before I got to the studio. But I got to record in Damon Auburn's personal studio for two days, um, 
and he had i mean i got to use his toys which was like and you know like i'm a huge fan of his it was like the my favorite couple of days i've ever spent in a recording studio but one of his um toys that i got to use was his farfisa organ and um i had this kind of vague idea for one of the songs that we were working on a song called cast noir of like having these kind of like big crashing uh chords at the end and 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 when i played the farfisa i was like oh this reminds me a bit of that like random finnish band i loved like 10 years ago like or 15 years ago shogun kunitoki and so i was just like thinking of that when i was um like putting these sounds at at the end of this track and like i I don't know it's a song that like was kind of a journey and i i didn't necessarily it wasn't like my favorite on the record when i when i finished it and it's the one that, like, the most people, like, friends and stuff who I've played the record for have said is their favorite song on it. And I think part of it is that it just, it has a very, like, big-sounding ending. And I think I have uh, Damon Auburn and Shogun Kunitoki to thank for that, for um, making me pick up a Farfisa and put it on the record. Wonderful. Well, we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast with all your song choices and uh, and some of the other records that we've we've spoke about today um as we're we're getting close to a new year and and hopefully a new year that's going to involve some more freedom and some yeah being able to go and hug your friends again um what are you looking forward to personally and what's going to be happening professionally with the the new record um yeah i mean both personally and professionally i'm very excited to have this record come out it comes out uh on january 29th and, you know, it got mixed over the summer, but I really did finish recording it, like, right when I got home from Australia in January. So, um, to have sat on a record for a year um, is not my favorite thing. So, having it out there, having people listening to it um, is, in the near term, something I'm just, like, really looking forward to. Uh, and... uh yeah, just like like having it out there uh, will be. I don't know. It's just I, I always love releasing music and putting out the record. Will be uh, like just very satisfying in and of itself. Um, I'm very excited, both on a on a personal level for uh, vaccines and uh, you know people getting vaccinated and being safe and uh, squashing this virus. And I think that uh, I'm hopeful that in the long term we'll you know, bound together. It's, uh, I, I've been watching, you know, uh, I guess that was last week you guys started vaccinating people. I thought I found myself getting very emotional reading about that. Um, I was watching footage of vaccines getting put on planes, uh, here in America and found myself getting surprisingly emotional about that. And, uh, it's put me in a very good mood in general. So I look forward to, Yes, being able to hug my friends, um, being able to gather, being able to um, be in the same room with people I love. I'm looking forward to seeing my parents who I have not seen. Um, there's so much to look forward to. I, I, I feel very hopeful for the new year. And um, yeah, in terms of playing shows, it's it's very it's in this weird place where I. Um, would love to be, I mean, I guess I kind of said it a little bit earlier, I I would love to be getting in a room with uh, 
other people and playing the album for them. But I, I, I have no idea right now if uh, I'm going to tour this record or not. Um, and it's going to kind of just depend on scheduling and whenever it is safe for people to get into a small club together. And um, I think that those kinds of things are going to sort of happen last. So would I love to be finishing up a tour in Europe in mid-December this time next year? I absolutely would love to. Can I say that that's happening with any degree of certainty? I cannot. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, Chris, it's been an absolute delight chatting to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, for people that want to keep up to speed on, on any developments with um, you know, gigs and, and the record coming out, where's the best place to follow you? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on uh, Twitter or Instagram. Uh, it's my last name backwards, Oyeb, O-I-A-B. Um, and then I, I do have a Facebook page. I mean, I, I update everything, but if, there's, uh, if there is a tour that info will be on any of those uh, platforms. <laughs> Wonderful. Chris, have a lovely Christmas and all the best for the new year. Thank you. You too. This was such a pleasure, Stu. Oh, thanks loads, mate. There you go. What a lovely man. Um, really, really enjoyed that. I hope you've got as much joy listening um, as I did having that chat with Chris. Go and check out the new album um, and go and give him a follow on the socials that he, uh, that he mentioned. Um, yeah, I'll be back next time. In the meantime, um, go and explore the back catalogues. And if you've you've rinsed all two hundred or so episodes uh, of the the stuff that gets put out on your Acast, Spotify, and iTunes, and, and all of them places, why not head over to the Patreon um, where you'll find there's another two hundred episodes there. Um, and yeah, and by going over and subscribing to the the Patreon page, which I think will cost you about seventy nine p a week. Uh, you get four weekly episodes over there and, and video episodes, um, loads of other stuff. Um, so, yeah, go and, go and watch. There's a little video over there, and it just tells you all about it and, and what you're going to get. And, uh, and you can find out about that and anything else to do with this podcast at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'm back next time. Have a lovely week. Much love. See you soon. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable, and water based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done 
is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It's me, Stu Whipping. Ain't a podcast.